you know, I've, I've felt a lot of betrayal by the church. You know, I've, I feel like I've gone through these stages of grief of, you know, anger and sadness and, you know, um, and I feel like I'm, I'm nearing that acceptance phase. But it's definitely, you know, yeah, it's, it's rocked my world. It's kind of shaken me to the core. And I think I'm, I'm at a really good place now. I, I'm the happiest I've ever been. Uh, my wife and I and our relationship is the, the best it's ever been. Um, and so I, I think it's, it's definitely been a, a process. It is time for another episode of the Cultural Hall, and I'm interested to see where this episode goes. I uh, reading my daily subscription to the Rochester Post Bulletin, which oh, you aren't subscribed to that newspaper? I'm I'm surprised. <laughs> I get that, and I get the uh, you know the Calaveras County Claim Jumper newspaper. I like to get all the small town rags, and uh, surely. I'm reading this you know, this a couple months ago now, and up pops an article, and the headline is Rochester Church of Latter-day Saints mem- member speaks out on church's abuse issues, which you can probably uh, you know guess made me go, hmm. And I reached out to Michael Benjamin, who is my guest. Welcome in, Michael. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And we tried to get it to work out before, and I will fully take the weight of, I don't know what happened. We chatted, and we're like, yeah, let's chat. And then I was like, ah. And then you came up again recently in a in like a media hit that sent something to me. And I was like, okay, this is a sign. General conference is over. We can stop predicting temples. It is time to talk with Michael Benjamin. So uh welcome in. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm not too bad. Let me ask you this. Uh Rochester, born and raised, or a transplant, or what 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 makes you out that way? Yeah. So uh Born and raised in Minnesota, so not in Rochester, but I was uh, born and raised up in the Twin Cities area, so Minneapolis, St. Paul suburbs, um, and then uh, went out to BYU for my bachelor's and master's degree in social work, uh, worked out there and then worked in Idaho for a little bit, and then moved back to Minnesota to work in Rochester, um, worked at the Mayo Clinic for a little bit, and then currently I'm at another uh, mental health agency here in town. So give me an idea of like, what what do you, what are you doing on the in and out of a day professionally? Yeah, so on the in and out of a day, um, I provide outpatient therapy to children, adolescents, and their families. Um, and then I also am part of a partial hospitalization program. So it's like a day treatment program for children and adolescents who need uh, more than weekly outpatient therapy, but maybe don't meet criteria for inpatient hospitalization. So it's kind of a, a mid-level care um, so I provide uh, therapy to children and families who are in the partial hospitalization program. And then I also split some of my time doing just regular outpatient therapy. And so would that be like if uh, if someone's like, oh, I'm off to see my therapist, that's outpatient therapy? Correct. Yep. And then the hospitalization is like, uh, I know that there's like these programs where like kids are there on an entire day and they do like a group thing and then a, a private one-on-one and then like a team thing and then another thing. That's that that kind of part-time thing. Exactly. Yeah. The partial hospitalization program, it's, yeah, it's, they're in school for half the day and then they're receiving intensive therapy for the other half. So yeah, group therapy, individual therapy, meeting with team members. Um, And it's like a four to six week program um, that they come for. And then we transition them back to school, hopefully successfully. And is that for kids? I mean, we're going to be talking a, a bit about, about like abuse, signs of abuse, grooming, some of those things, the repercussions of abuse within the household, some of that. We'll get into all of those things. Are that is that the 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 mainstay of the people that you see, or is it anyone who's needing help with anything and you're alongside them? Yeah, it's it's any child or adolescent who's struggling with any sort of mental health issue. So it could be anxiety, depression, ADHD, grief and loss. 
trauma, uh, attachment issues. Um, so the whole the whole spectrum um, of things. We have a, a program for eating disorders, another program for uh, adolescents who are struggling with um, substance use issues. Um, but I primarily work with uh, elementary school age kids and then high school age kids who are dealing with a variety of different mental health issues. Um, I, I would say my niche in the community or kind of my training is more with kids with trauma um, and attachment issues. So it, this is my ignorance. When I think about things like what you do and like elementary school kids, I'm like, what What in the world could an elementary school kid, I, this is obviously from a privileged point of view, right? Mm -hmm. Like the, the worst thing that I ever experienced was the kid next door didn't want to play with me and he didn't invite me to his birthday party. And I was right. like, oh, so, but I mean, pretty impactful, pretty meaningful to be able to get in in a big T trauma kind of situation if that is happening at an elementary school level rather than waiting until high school or adulthood. Yeah, exactly. And I'm all for like early intervention. Um, I think the earlier we can treat uh, kids, the better that, you know, the better outcomes they have, the better prognosis. Um, but yeah, it's sad actually to think about elementary school age kids who are experiencing big T or even little T traumas, right? The yeah. daily, um, you know, parents yell at them or neglect, you know, the, the daily neglect. Um, and then, the, yeah, the big T traumas of sexual abuse and physical abuse and um, things like that. Question that I would have about that is the headlines would lead me to believe that we've seen an exponential growth among children in the last, I don't know, let's just take the, for instance, the time that you have been working in the profession. Have you noticed it uh, increase or a change within kids that we're seeing far more of this than we did that? Or what is that sort of scenario as you look over your time? Yeah, I think there's definitely been an increase in in abuse, um, trauma, and, and you know, trauma can be a whole number of different things. Um, you know, it could be loss of a family member, um, significant, you know, medical procedures that are done, um, divorce. You know, so all these different things that can happen. So I think I think there have been um, is there's been an increase in in kids experiencing traumatic events. Mm -hmm. We even think about COVID, right? I mean, just COVID and that kind of collective trauma that we all experienced. Um, I also think the reason we're seeing an increase is um, kids are more, you know, talking about it more. I think it's it's uh, something that is out there that that people feel more comfortable talking about. Um, Which is good, I think, yeah? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, do, I guess when I think about it too, I think, man, that would just be so heartbreaking. Like it's heartbreaking for everyone, right? So let me let me clarify. It's just as heartbreaking for middle school, high school, or right. an adult to go through trauma. But like specifically that age, I just think of that age for me being so innocent and so mm -hmm. and so all of these things that it it just seems like there would be an extra bit of oh my, you know, that would yeah. be hard for me personally. I think. Yeah, it is hard. It's hard to see. It's hard to. Um you know, on a, on a daily basis, um, work with kids, um, who have experienced trauma or like I said, attachment issues. Um, but it's at the same time rewarding because, um, therapy and medications help. And so it's, it's also great to see that with a supportive environment and the right sort of treatments that kids can get better. And you actually probably really see them get better yeah. pretty quickly, right? Because they also say kids can kind of adapt pretty quick, whereas adults are like, well, I know I should yeah. <laughs> put it off, put it off, put it off. And then it's years later, but kids maybe, is it is it a quicker pickup, do you think, for kids or is, is that just a different person's personality? Yeah, I think it depends on everybody's personality. And also, you know, there's a lot of risk factors and protective factors that go into kids and, and their prognosis and, and their healing journey, you know, where some kids with a lot of protective factors and good supports are going to maybe uh, heal and, re and recover quicker than kids who, who don't have that. Yeah. 
Is that what you always wanted to do? Not always. Um, I initially wanted to go into theater. Okay. <laughs> surprisingly, um, and then I went uh, on my mission. I went my on my mission to Ecuador, and that had a life changing impact on me. And then I came back um, from my mission, went back to BYU, and then wanted to become a doctor. Mm -hmm. um, wanted to go pre med, um, but my chemistry class uh, <laughs> persuaded me against becoming a doctor. I just wasn't good at it, and so I was like, "Well, I still want to help people." Um, and this was like the the next best thing, I think. Yeah, and I've was, loved it ever since. What was the life change that happened in Ecuador? Um, just seeing. Um, poverty, um, seeing, uh, people, uh, struggling with resources, um, and just, yeah, being exposed, you know, directly to, to people who, um, you know, weren't, and again, coming from, as you said earlier, kind of a privileged background, right. It, it exposed me to a whole nother world, um, that I just never experienced before and really opened my eyes to, um, just how, you know, the, the struggles that people deal with, uh, on a daily basis. I, yeah, I want to get into uh, especially what the article is about, but I guess I have want to ask this question too. Um, there are lots of people that are struggling. How do you, um, because I think everyone, I mean, really everyone could benefit from therapy and mm -hmm. every kid could benefit from someone coming alongside them and being like, how are we doing? What's going on? And especially in these bigger situations, how is it that you get how that you're able to be in that space and not just be overwhelmed or downtrodden? Because the world is so hard and there's so much of all of these things. I, I It's an amazement that I have for individuals like yourself where I'm like, yes, thank you. You've got to do it because I think I'd be, I would either, you know, try and save everyone and then end up saving no one, right? Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, just become so jaded that then I'm just like, close the doors. The world is gone. We're over. It's done. How, how are you able to dwell on that? Yeah, I think uh, a lot of it comes down to self-care. Um, so I like to run. So running is my self-care. Uh, I like to listen to music. That's also a way to just for me to escape. I've also learned over the years to compartmentalize things. Um, in between my bachelor's and master's degrees, I worked as a child protection worker in Utah. Oh, yeah, and that um, that was hard um, and, and made me decide to go back to school to get my master's to be a therapist because I couldn't do, I couldn't be a, a CPS worker um, for the rest of my life. And so, but at, during that time, as I worked as a CPS worker, I learned to really compartmentalize things and, and that's helped um, just, you know, to not work, not bring work home with me. Mm -hmm. um, but definitely self-care, I would say is the, the, the other big thing that I've learned to do over the years. Well, you know, the the headline of the article says that you are speaking out on churches' abuse issues, and I would love to know uh, what, what the Rochester Bulletin is talking about. Uh, I think they're talking about me being vocal within the community about this local sex abuse case that occurred um, within our Rochester, Minnesota stake. Um, so I've, I've been pretty public about my opinions and thoughts about that. Um, For people that, don't, that aren't familiar about that case, can you, I mean, basic set that stage of that case? Yeah, I can try to give a brief high level overview. Warning, um, he's not a news person. He's just paraphrasing as he understands it. Okay. Yes. Um, so Michael Adam Davis um, was a is a registered sex offender from Utah. Um, he was um, arrested twice, charged twice in Utah in, uh, if I remember right, 2003 and 2006. Um, was put on the National uh, Sex Offender Registry in Utah, and then um, 
he moved to Minnesota. We're not sure quite when. I think it was like in the early 2010s, potentially. Uh, moved to Utah. Or sorry, moved to Minnesota in a small town just west of Rochester um, called Casson, Minnesota. Mm -hmm. um, and he was kind of fast forward. He was um, called to be the elders quorum president within the Casson branch. Um, and during his time as the elders quorum president um, was grooming young men. Um, he had access to young men in the branch. And it, and this will come up later, but if anyone has ever been in a branch before, so there's branches and wards. If ever, anyone's ever been in a branch before, you know that you may have a certain calling, but you also just kind of help out wherever because there's just not enough members to do all the duties within a, a, a branch. And so uh, it came out that he was um, helping young men prepare the sacrament. He was taking young men on temple trips. Um, so he had, he had direct access with, with young men in the branch. Um, so he, uh, was grooming some young men and he eventually, um, sexually abused a young man within the branch and, uh, was caught, um, when he was pulled over, um, by police with the young man in his car, they weren't wearing seatbelts, and so they got pulled over on just like a regular traffic stop. And then the police ran his name, saw that he was a registered sex offender, saw that he was alone with this young man, which raised suspicions. Um, ultimately, the, this young man disclosed um, that Davis had had uh, sexually abused him. Um, and then that hit the news, and that's where. I got involved because I saw the news, saw that this was a, a member of the church in the Casson branch, elders quorum president. Um, and so it raised a lot of red flags for me. Um, number one, including how did a registered sex offender um, get called to be an elders quorum president in a branch? Mm -hmm. um, that shouldn't have happened. Uh, so either number one, the leaders in Utah um, didn't put a, a mark on his membership record. So there's, you know, annotations that they can put on membership records. So either the Utah leaders didn't do that when he became a registered sex offender or the leaders here in Minnesota didn't uh, look at the annotation or ignore the annotation um, because he shouldn't have been put in a position of authority. Um, well, so let me ask you a question about that. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, sometimes these questions, just so you know, I'm just trying to understand. Don't, don't assume by any means that this is my point of view, but an elders quorum president would be in charge of only adults. I think that that's, I mean, at least on the surface level, maybe you can enlighten me a little bit. That's certainly different than, you know, if he was called to the nursery or to the primary or, or something like that. Or do you think like if someone uh, is, ha has been on the sex offender registry that like any sort of leadership calling would be inappropriate for that person? Or how does that work with our, belief in repentance and a second chance and all that. Talk about that for a minute. Yeah, I, I, my opinion is that um, as an elders quorum president, especially in a branch, like I said, they're going to have access to children, youth, through just the nature of that calling. Mm -hmm. I think anyone who's you know a member of the church will know that the elder, elders quorum president is a very respected um, position within the congregation, right? They're like second to the bishop, basically. Sure. Um, and so I think just by nature of that calling, even though an elders quorum president might not have direct access to children or youth, I think there's a level of respect that, you know, if the elders quorum president were to call up a family and say, hey, I want to come visit you or I want to come take your son out for ice cream, the member, I think, would say, oh, yeah, sure, you know, go ahead, because there's this level of trust yeah. that I think members put in an elders quorum president. 
Um, on top of that, I think, like I said, within a branch, um, there's even more um, contact that a, an elders quorum president might have with mm -hmm. people in the congregation. And in this case, I mean, that proved to be true, right? He, yep. he was actively involved with youth. He even was um, created a Book of Mormon challenge for the for the young men to participate in that came out in the trial. Um, so he was like actively, you know, working with the youth, giving them these Book of Mormon reading challenges and things like that. Um, and then I think even from like a, it used to be called home teaching, but now it's called ministering. You know, the elders quorum president is going to be in charge of pairing youth with, you know, other adult men in the ward. So there's going to be mm -hmm. even some contact there is, is my opinion. Um, and, and I, I do believe in, in repentance. Um, and I guess I don't know that, you know, the situation around, uh, Michael Davis and, you know, w where he was at with that. I think at a minimum though, if someone is on a sex offender registry, there should be great caution in what callings they receive within a congregation. Yeah, one of the words that you said, I, I want to um, kind of walk out a little bit because I think just the same thing, like when we say someone is narcissistic or I have anxiety, there are these terms that are sort of blanketed, blanketed out and we all go, yeah, we know what that means. But if you really push, I don't know that everyone does. Grooming. What, what actually is grooming or what is, hey, that's just a nice guy that is caring about my kids and, you know, kids need another adult that they can talk to that aren't going to ground them and all that stuff. What, what is the difference in that and, and maybe some of those other things? Yeah, I think that's where it gets confusing, especially within the church, because, again, we're, we're taught to respect our elders and there's this level of trust within adults within the church. Um you know, and that your question kind of even gets a little bit to these one-on-one -on -one worthiness interviews that youth have with leaders in the church. And there's like, to me, this is my opinion, a, a desensitization process that happens as youth are talking to adult leaders about very personal, private things mm -hmm. that kind of desensitizes them to this idea of like, oh, I, I can share, you know, these very personal, intimate details with an adult male and that's okay mm -hmm. um but to get to your question i think grooming and, and that way grooming different differs in the sense that um the adult is you know buying gifts for the for the youth you know treating them special spending extra time with them mm. um you know giving them things um calling them you know taking them out and in this case with with uh, michael adam davis that's that's what he was doing right he was treating these young very, very special he was buying them gifts he was he gave them you know a phone he was having them over to his house alone um that's where you know the red flags go up about, about grooming uh i want to take a break real quick when we come back uh i want to pick it up right actually right there uh let's take a break and come back and do that in the second block of the cultural hall I had an email from someone who listens to the cultural hall. I believe it was a, not a lifer, but a convert who said, Hey, Richie, are you still teaching the podcast classes? And the answer is yes. In fact, I have even fine tuned it more than I ever had before. So you might be asking, well, Richie, how do I get on on that? Well, you can always email contact at the or you can find me on social media, wherever I'm at Richie T. Stedman and reach out and say, Hey, I listen to the cultural hall. I would love to learn more about podcasting or your podcast 
podcasting services, a class, a cohort. There's a group of people. I've even taught uh, the ward historian about podcasting, what it is and how it might be a great benefit to people. If that's something that you're interested in, whether it's for your business or just for your private hobby, maybe something you see your future in, would love to be able to help you along the way. You can find me again anywhere on social media, Richie T. Stedman, or you can uh, just contact us, contact at theculturalhall.com. Look forward to hearing from you. Let us podcast together. To be clear, this is still a show. Hi, friends. Dan the Laptop Man here from PC Laptops. You can get a brand new PC Laptops desktop, and they start at only $29 a month. And it comes with a lifetime warranty. Just check us out at PCLaptops.com. That's PCLaptops.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, remember that you can always email us if you like this episode or you disagree with something being shared in this episode, or you have a, a great referral for another episode that we should do, maybe around this subject or another. It's contact at theculturalhall.com. And even when you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't sleep and you're thinking, what should I do to get back to sleep? You can send an email, contact at theculturalhall.com. So, um, so it's, you know, it's the buying the gifts. It's all the, it's, it's all the things that, you know, makes that person feel special and be able to open it up. So, you know, the headline is like in this particular article is like, Michael is doing this. I can't imagine that there are lots of people in your congregation that are like, nah, it's fine. Don't worry. So what is it that makes it significant that you are being kind of high lit or uh, spotlighted that, that, you know, that this is, this is all, this is about you and that you're speaking out. Um, I can only guess. Uh, I think it's because I, um, was very vocal about it within the community. Um, but what is that? So I guess I'm asking, what does that mean? Yeah. You're being vocal. Is it like, this was horrible and this is my church and I don't like this? Is it you're going to meetings and you're like, I know this is about the Christmas tree project, but I need to let you know that Michael Adam Davis did this. And I, you know, what, what, what was the vocal? How were you vocal? Yeah, about? I, I guess a little bit of both. I was, um, yeah, vocal within like the media um, and saying, hey, this isn't okay. Um, this shouldn't have happened. Um, you know, he was a registered sex offender in Utah. How did he get put in this position of authority here? Um, I was speaking out about how the church needs to do criminal background checks on all of its leaders. Um, I think that in and of itself would have saved this young man from being abused. If they would have run a background check um, before calling him to a position, it would have saved this young man, which to me is super sad mm -hmm. that, you know, that one simple act that the church could do um, could save this young man and, and probably, you know, thousands of other kids. Um, so I was speaking out about that. I was speaking out about the one-on-one -on -one worthiness interviews. Um, uh, I was speaking out about how uh, clergy, you know, were not required to follow the mandated reporter laws, at least here in Minnesota. I know in some states they are, but here in Minnesota, there's not no... in Utah either. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then I also spoke out. Um, so when the branch president um, was released and then he went back to his home ward, which was my home ward, um, he was uh, called to be a Sunday school president for the youth. Mm -hmm. um, and I uh, emailed the parents of the, the youth in that Sunday school class just saying, hey, this is what's going on in our stake. Um, this former branch president is now your youth Sunday school leader. Just wants you to be aware that he um, submitted an affidavit to support the perpetrator. Um, and that's all I said. I just was kind of letting them know, like, this is the scenario. This is the situation. You know, you guys can decide on your, you know, you're for yourselves if um, you feel it's okay for this um, former branch president to be 
um, teaching this youth Sunday school class, knowing that he, in, in my opinion, was defending the perpetrator in this case. Um, so that was another way I guess I was speaking out. And so after I had sent that email um, to the, the parents of this Sunday school class, um, the state president, without notifying me or talking to me, um, removed my access to my church membership account or, um, you know, the the LDS tools. Yeah. To be um, able to message or call anybody in the ward, you're yeah. no longer able to. Right. And, and it has like what your, your tithing and your journal and your scriptures and all that, your patriarchal blessing. Um, so that was, they took, they called Salt Lake, had that um, access removed um, from me after I had sent that email. So I guess in that way, those are the ways I was speaking out. Um, so publicly and within the church. So, so uh, I mean, very aggressive. As far as some of those actions go, especially in a in a group of people that I feel like a lot of times we're just like, well, you know, they should probably know or they do or we mm -hmm. there's a lot of times that we are hands off about things where it's like, I don't know that I would do that, but that's not really my business. Maybe that's within the church. Maybe that's just people in general. Um, probably a lot of the profession that that with what you see, you just felt like you had to tell the parents that to to make sure that they knew like not an option to not tell them. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, at a, in the heart of my heart, I'm a social worker, right? That's, that's my degree. That's my life. That's what I do every day. Um, so I feel very strongly about protecting children sure. and, and wanting the church to be a safe place. And so that's, yeah, I, I think you nailed it. I, that's why I spoke out to those parents. That's why I spoke out publicly. That's why I was, you know, posting all sorts of stuff on my social media, um, just to get the word out and let people know that, that this is happening and it's not okay. As a response from the either the parents or other people in the ward, because you know there had to have been at least a response, anything is a response. What was that like as you got messages back from those parents or after that kind of occurs within the ward? Is it, oh, that's that sticking his nose where it doesn't belong, <laughs> Michael Benjamin? It's been mixed. It's been um, some of that. Um, it's been also support. Um, hey, thanks for speaking out. Um, you know, I couldn't do what you're doing, you know, thanks for, for saying something. Um, and then I know of multiple families because of this case, um, who have left the church because of how the, the local stake uh, leadership handled the situation. Um, so there's, it, it's been kind of all sorts of reactions. There's been people defending what the local leadership did. There's been people, like I said, who've left the church. There's been people who have spoken out against me and also people who've, who've been supportive. Yeah. It, it, Maybe you could enlighten me. The people that would speak against you or like in favor, I mean, even just an affidavit, an affidavit, and I've heard of those things happening here where, you know, something, some member of the church will go and, you know, the bishop thinking that he's doing well by that person will say, you know, I know he's a good person. I know he was drinking that one night and killed your entire family, but that's out of character for this. Like what, what possibly could be the well, I mean, but he did do his calling really well. Or like, what is the, I, I'm struggling to find a defense. Yeah, me too. I mean, and in this particular case, what came out later after I, after I would, uh, went to higher up um, leaders within the church, I contacted an area 70, um, Jeffrey Kerr. I don't know if he's still the area authority over our area, but um, he, he confirmed to me that those affidavits were written basically by church attorneys and that the local leaders just basically like signed it because mm. um, they were identical affidavits um, both claiming that 
Michael Adam Davis didn't have like direct um, authority or direct contact with kids in his mm -hmm. in his position, which I guess technically is true, right? Sure. As an Elders Quorum president, he wasn't directly over youth programs, um, but that doesn't um, cover the fact that he was actually, you know, working with youth, taking them to temple trips, helping them prepare the sacrament. Um, so these affidavits were written by church attorneys, and I think in my opinion, we're an attempt to um, protect the the church from from anything. Yeah, lawsuits or any of those kind of yeah. things. Yeah. Uh, and and appreciative from the actual families that you sent some of the emails to, or was there any of them that's like mind your own business? Yeah, I didn't. I would say from the families that I sent the email to, I didn't receive any like direct responses. Yeah, um, yeah. but I know that one of them must have forwarded my email on to the. The, the, my bishop and stake president, because then the day after, the second, like two days later, that's when my membership account was uh, blocked. Without any sort of discussion with you, but then is it, yeah. uh, has there been discussion since where it's like, well, you know, you shouldn't, and you're like, well, I'd, I'd like to have the phone numbers of people that I can call, or where does that particular situation stand? Yeah, there's really been no discussion with me since. Um, stake leaders and local leaders have pretty much ghosted me for the most part. Um I did file a civil suit against them because a lot of my personal property was contained in my membership account. Like I had said earlier, my patriarchal blessing, my tithing donations, mm -hmm. my scriptures, my notes, my journal. Um, so I actually filed a civil suit against them um, last year to try to get my personal property back, the stuff that I created online. Um, and uh, they hired attorneys to actually fight me on it. Sure. Um, and then ultimately we settled um, out of court and I got access to my membership account back. So maybe the hardest question or a harder question, no knowing this, that this occurs, we know that it occurs there. It occurs in Virginia. There are stories in Arizona. Mm -hmm. you, know, you know, it's, it, it, it is no, uh, it is no geographical discrimination. It happens everywhere. And it's not just in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints as well. It is lots of churches. It is lots of situations where parents are able or where adults are able to interact with kids, etc. Um, but this is your particular like faith and and belief. And you you served and taught people this and had life-changing experiences sharing the message of this. And then you know, a lot of people will sort of dismiss it away and say things like, Michael, remember, the church is perfect, but the people aren't. And you're like, I don't know that I feel that in this thing. Or or are you able to, to, to like you mentioned earlier, compartmentalize? Yeah, I think that has been the hardest thing for me in all of this is reconciling all of my faith experiences with this recent experience um, with this case, um, because it's called into question a lot of things, right? Like the the power of discernment, right? Like if this, if our local leaders, you know, truly have the power of discernment, why didn't when they prayed over Michael Adam Davis being the elders quorum president, why didn't they get the revelation and inspiration that this was going to happen, yeah. or that, that or, he shouldn't or even be? That, yeah, even that it was just a bad idea, not necessarily yeah. this would happen. Right. But, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, then that starts me down the rabbit hole of like, okay, well, if they don't have the power of discernment, then what about everything else, you know? Um, and then it just, like I said, you know, goes down the rabbit hole for me of all these other questions that I start to have. Um, and then, it, you know, it calls into question too, just the organization and the the lack of protection that exists within the church of, you know, if are we annotating 
church membership records for registered sex offenders? Um, you know, are we following those those policies and protocols? Um, what about doing criminal background checks on leaders? And and so you know, those sorts of things also start to um, kind of waver my my testimony and my my faith. Um, and so, yeah, and that's that's been hard for me because I, I haven't been able to reconcile that, um, and it's brought me to a lot of questions um, that I've had to face, and um, that's been hard. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting because one of the big pushes that I hear um, about background checks is, you know, listen, it wouldn't even catch very many people that what you have to have in order for it to be caught in a background check, you have to be accused or, uh, you know. Um, it has to actually have gone through and you have to, and all these different things about it. And yet in this particular scenario, it would have pinged instantly and that would would have been a thing. And then you look at the fact that, uh, here in the United States, there are one or two, maybe half a dozen States that now require anyone working with youth to have a background Mm -hmm. check. Uh, the church in United Kingdom has now required Mm -hmm background checks. I, I don't understand why why at the point that these things are rolling out and the fact that, as you mentioned, okay, so maybe it only saves 1%. Are we not taught to go after right. the 1%? Like, exactly. Why, oh, I, I don't understand these sweeping. Why we don't just go, hey, you know what? We founded Zion's Background Check Independent LLC, and yep. that's our company, and now we send all of them to that. I don't understand as a business or as a religious institution why we wouldn't go Let's do this. This yeah. seems a simple, there's lots of other things, but a simple thing that we can just broad brush do and, and instantly have success with it. Yeah. Yeah. Very, a very easy thing to do that could save, like I said, thousands of kids. Yeah. And, and you see the turmoil and the, and the, uh, you know, the lives that are affected both currently and then down the road, you deal with this mm-hmm. go, Oh, this happened to you 10 years ago and see what right. the life has become for those people. Right. Yeah. Um, a few years ago, and we had him actually here in the culture hall, a gentleman by the name of Sam Young. He spoke out quite a bit about, um, I think he was from Texas, as I recall. You can listen to that episode. I'll leave it in the show notes. But he talked about some of the very things that you talked about in like background checks, talked about um, being able for the youth to have uh, like an escort or another person in the room as they're mm-hmm. able to uh, be interviewed. And that was before all of those changes occurred within the church. That gentleman was excommunicated from the church. Uh, and I, I actually, I'm going to seek him out cause I don't know what he's up to now. Um, but are you worried about anything like that? Is it a moral judgment where you're like, yeah, but I'm not wrong. So if these people decide to do this, then that's on them. How do you feel about that sort of, I mean, it's, it's definitely a possibility, um, for me to go to some sort of disciplinary council. Um, I'm actually surprised that that didn't happen uh, when they took away my membership account privileges, mm-hmm. because again, that was done behind my back without talking to me. Um, so there was like disciplinary action taken against me without really having a disciplinary council. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm actually confused about that to this day. Um, so I, I mean, I'm not worried um, if that's what the local leaders decide to do, then I guess that's, that's their decision. Yeah. It's super difficult Uh, as someone. So in my early twenties excommunicated, that doesn't matter why, but it's interesting to me when I feel like I get lumped into some of these groups of other people who are also excommunicated and I'm like, okay, am I the same as guy who (laughs) doesn't church? 
who right. killed a couple of kids. I'm no, I'm not. Yeah. Are we saying that that's what this is? I, you know, whatever the thing is, and, and and you facing potential church discipline for saying, can we be a little more safe with kids? Mm-hmm. Can we make sure that we annotate our church records properly? Seems right. asinine to me. Yeah. Yeah. How, what, let me ask you this. Uh, you mentioned earlier you're married. What has your wife thought about this whole thing? Um, she has been super supportive, um, mm-hmm. and which I've really appreciated because like I said earlier, this has been a hard journey as I've, you know, questioned my faith and questioned some beliefs that have arisen because of this whole case. Um, but she's been very, very supportive and, and that's helped me get through this. Are you able still to have a calling within your ward? You function as some sort of something within the ward that you worship or are you not going to church anymore? Yeah, so I haven't gone to church. My, my wife and I both haven't gone to church probably since COVID. We we attended remotely when COVID was happening. And then once um, services went back in person, we um, just haven't been going. Interestingly, on that note, um, in the midst of all of this, I was released from my callings um, due to similar reasons, right? Because I was being vocal about different things. And um, so kind of right in the midst of all of this, um, my bishop released me from some callings and and told me it was because I was speaking out about this and, and some other um, questions that I had about the church, um, mostly the the November 2015 exclusion policy. I was I was being pretty vocal about that. And and in that case, I was I was in classes asking questions and and speaking out about about that particular policy. Um, but he removed me from uh, being the the ward chorister um, because, and, and these are his words, paraphrase, that he didn't want me in front of the congregation, um, you know, being seen if I was having all of these doubts and questions and speaking out. Hmm. Uh, I want to take another break. When we come back, uh, there are three questions we ask everyone who steps in the cultural hall. I'll ask those of you, plus a couple other things. We'll pick them up in the third block. Best DJ in Utah.com. It's been a while since we've had a new one of these, and I apologize for that. It's because I've been so busy DJing events all over the country, uh, but especially here in Utah. Been able to do some great, uh, you know, weddings. I've done a, a prom or two for different listeners of the cultural hall. I love it when you uh, reach out to me at bestdjinutah.com, or uh, you can find the phone number online as well. I would love it if you say, hey, I heard about you on the cultural hall, because maybe, just maybe, I give a cultural hall discount. Uh, All sorts of events. It doesn't have to be a a wedding. It could be a community event. Maybe it's a ward or youth activity. I'm doing one of those this summer. In fact, just lock the deal down on that. Uh, Whatever it may be, if you need music to accompany your event, or you just need a great MC, I would love to be able to help you out you're simply going to need to go to bestdjinutah.com. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, remember you can always become a Patreon saint of the Cultural Hall. You go to patreon.com forward slash the Cultural Hall. It gets you to be a part of the secret but not sacred Facebook group where all of us who are Patreon saints hang out, talk about things that are happening in the episode, Maybe we'll talk about Minnesota. 
<laughs> talk about uh, we do whatever we want in that group and you are welcome to join it. It's patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. So Michael, then uh, been a couple of years seriously since COVID, even though it's still around now and I'm pretty sure I had it like two weeks ago. Uh, <laughs> when, when you think about um, the time, the experiences, the life change of Ecuador, and then you think of your time at BYU and then you think of your time up until the point of you kind of speaking out and and how much um, the church is a, is a part of your life, of, of the very nature of who you are, both literally and figuratively. Like, uh, is it an active wrestle where you're like, oh, or is it you've kind of put it on the back burner for a little bit and we're seeing it or or or. Where where do you stand today as we record this? It's the first part of October of 2023. Like, are you do you do you see yourself going back or not until someone apologizes? Or where like where are you drawing a line? Where what are you at? Yeah, I think where I'm at is um I'm in a good place right now. I think I've I've come to terms with um what's happened. Um you know, as you were speaking about these life-changing experiences, my, you know, my mission, going to BYU, meeting mm-hmm. my wife at BYU, being married in the temple, you know, all of my experiences throughout being a member of the church, I am super grateful for those experiences and and what the church brought to my life as far as morals and values. And, um, and I think it's those same morals and values and being a seeker of truth that led to all of this happening, right? Because I, I, in the midst of all this, I was, you know, grounded in those morals and values that I actually got from the church mm-hmm. in being honest in in seeking truth in uh, protecting children, you know, that um, led me to speak out. Um, I think as a missionary, we're taught to speak out, right? And, yeah. and preach the gospel. And, and so to me, this is just like an extension of that, right? That I, I find, this to be a very important issue. And I, the church taught me to speak out about the truth and that's what I'm doing. And so it's interesting that, you know, that's kind of number one coming full circle, but also it's like almost backfiring on me in a way. Um, But I truly am grateful for, you know, everything that the church has brought to my life. I mean, my, my love of music, um, you know, is because of the church. Um, My desire to serve people um, is, is from the church. And so I, I, I won't forget any of that. Um, and I'm at peace with where I'm am now with um, you know my my name or, and my wife's and our children's names are still you know on the records of the church. We just you know aren't physically participating anymore, and that's do you, okay. Do you consider um, this sort of um, like this whole string of events a trauma? So I you- do. I, I do. I think um, in a lot of different ways. I mean, and, and maybe I don't. I know we can't compare traumas. Sure, you know, I don't know if it would be be a big T or a little T, but it's sure. definitely rocked my world. Yeah. Um, and has, um, you know, I've, I've felt a lot of betrayal by the church. Um, you know, I've, I feel like I've gone through these stages of grief of, you know, anger and sadness and, you know, um, and I feel like I'm, I'm nearing that acceptance phase. Um, but it's definitely, you know, yeah, it's, it's rocked my world. It's um, kind of shaken me to the core and, I think I'm I'm at a really good place now. I, I'm the happiest I've ever been. Uh, my wife and I and our relationship is the the best it's ever been. Um, and so I, I think it's it's definitely been a a process. It, it's a it's a frustrating thing um, for me as I hear that one because I mean I'm assuming 
uh, and not knowing all of the things that you've spoken out about. I mean, you haven't said anything to me that I'm like, oh, well, that's <laughs> why that clearly that's, right. that was the thing that he said. And and the thing that I struggle with in in any sort of things, and I think just groups, people, organizations find this is that the like the the dissenter or the different uh, opinion, either we shun them and have that person out of the group or they just get tired and go, you know what, I can't I can't do this anymore. And it's not what we need. Right. Right. And that's what's hurt the most is as I spoke out about like the 2015 exclusion policy. Um, and, Which, and by the way, was reversed everybody. Right, I know. <laughs> so, yeah. Where were yeah. all the people that were like, yeah, you know, I actually agreed with you. I didn't dare say anything, but now we're all good. Or yeah. Yeah. I just, yeah. Sorry. And so, yeah, no, that's okay. I, I agree. I mean, you know, and so when I was speaking out about that and, and speaking, you know, out for my LGBTQ brothers and sisters, there just didn't ever feel to be room or space made for me in, in the church because of that. Um, and that's what hurt the most, right? Like um, that I, I thought there would be space for everybody, that there would be room for everybody. And when I started speaking out and asking questions, I was pushed, I felt like I was pushed out. Hmm. Um, and, and I, and I think I, I mean, was by removing me from callings and, you know, things like that. Um question about sort of that part of like almost like a betrayal or or a a level of trauma those that are able to stay in uh, the church and be able to continue to do it do you think that it's um that and this is going to be speculation and i'm asking you to do a thing that you're probably not going to be comfortable about doing (laughs) i think it's just a group of people that are sort of in the like denying bargaining part of betrayal and that's how they're able to stay within that place is no, I can, I can make a difference. I can be this thing. And, and so they just sort of try and and mold and make a place or, or is it better that those people accept, Hey, this is, this is what this is and exercise the agency and go, Hey, if this is something that's different, I can knowingly and willingly come back. How, how would you speak to, to that maybe experience as opposed to, you know, being shunned or pushed out? Yeah. I, I think the church, works for people uh, at different times in their lives. And and I would say it worked for me for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. It, it definitely worked for me. Um, and so it might be working for those people. And yeah, I can't speculate on whether they're in that kind of bargaining phase sure. of, of everything. I also think, um, and this is going to sound harsh and judgmental, um, I'm only speaking from, I guess, my experience of this, which is now being kind of on the outside of everything looking in. I definitely feel like I was conditioned into believing a lot of the things that I believed. Hmm. Um, and, and so I think sometimes people within the church um, continue to believe those things because that's what they've been taught to believe for, you know, most of their lives yeah. and it's working for them. And so, and if it's working for them, great, like that's, you know, more power to you. I know it worked for me for a while and, and it, it isn't working anymore. Um, and I think that's okay. Yeah, for sure. Uh, One of the greatest gifts I ever gave myself is when I got married a second time, I married someone who is not a member of the church who asks me questions like, why do you do that? (laughs) And, and, uh, and it's funny because you, you know, um, I think if people are being honest, there are lots of things in life, but certainly within worship that we just go, it's because that's what we do. And when Mm -hmm. someone's genuinely asking, like, why is it? No, no, no. Why do you do that way, that that thing, that particular way or believe that certain thing about that? And uh, it's been a tremendous gift to be able to be like, 
Um, okay, so I don't know. Yeah. And I'm going to get back to you. <laughs> and, um, and, and maybe one of the scarier things for me is that I feel like sometimes people don't want to ask mm-hmm. or won't ask because they may be afraid of what they're going to get as the answer. And the thing is, I think that you can be, um, liberal and conservative. I think that you can be this and that and all the extreme opposites of the things and that the doctrine of the church can still be true. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I just think that sometimes we go, well, it can't be this and that and, you know, still be true. You've got to, you got to bend on one of those things. And uh, I don't know. I guess. Yeah. I wish, I wish there was more space for, for asking questions. Um, yep. Cause I, I think that's what happened with me is when I started asking those questions, yeah, there was no room or space for those questions. But I think, I think there's value in being able to, to question ourselves and th- look at things from a different perspective. Yeah. Cause the other side of what I was saying is now I know like, I'm going to do this ministering because mm-hmm. it matters to me and I care about these people. Whereas I'm like, no, it's just a thing I do every month. It's I'm right. supposed to. They assign me names. Why do I do this? Oh, because right. I actually find joy in caring for God's children. Okay. Now yeah. I know it. So I think it can, you know, we 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 shy away from it because we go, whoa, what if they're gonna uh... but I think they're just as just as prevalent is the opportunity to become stronger within that. Let me yeah. ask you this, uh, because uh everyone's got some ideas. We've alluded to some of them. Um, we could do better within the church by background checks. That's an obvious one that we've sort of said. Yeah. Um I think the church, at least to its efficacy, I'm not sure. They have the if you're working with youth at all, here's a 30-minute slideshow mm-hmm. that you need to know. And some of those th- principles within that, very, very helpful to avoid any sort of situation. What else could people uh, employ if they're or bishops or stake presidents or even just, you know, teachers or or Sunday school presidencies listening to something like this? What could they do? Yeah, I think um, working with local legislators to get laws passed that will require clergy to follow the, the mandated reporter laws. Um, I know that's starting to happen in some states. Mm-hmm. Um I'm actually working with someone here, um, you know, to, de- to be determined, but we're in the works of talking with some local legislators here to get something happening here in Minnesota. Um, I think uh, getting rid of the one-on-one worthiness interviews, like I mentioned earlier, I think that desensitizes kids to talking about really personal, private things with adult men. Um, that just sets the stage for that grooming to happen. Um, Is there any I- sort of value? Because the pushback on that will be, well, you know, if people are going through a you know, they've transgressed and they need the the spiritual guidance of uh, a bishop and they're not going to, you know, they're not going to say, listen, I got naked with my girlfriend, with my dad sitting there. My dad will whoop me and then I'll never be able to see that girl again. How, how or should that situation occur where someone's able to talk about that? Or is it just not a value to be able to talk with an ecclesiastical leader about something like that? Yeah, I, I think there's other ways of dealing with those sorts of situations. Um, and I guess, I mean, that reaches a, a bigger question about just, you know, how do we handle sin and repentance and, you know, those yeah. sorts of things. Is that something that a leader has to deem you unworthy and tell you how to repent? Or is that something that you can personally, you know, uh, do yourself um, and, and maybe, you know, talk with your a parent and a bishop in the same room yeah. without getting into specifics? Um, sure. Yeah. Uh, what else? Any other sort of uh, guidelines, things that people could go? Yeah, this is this is something. I The reason why I asked you the question about grooming is because I think that sometimes we just think, oh, that Brother Benjamin's just so nice. And it's like, yeah. that, that that is not normal. Sleepovers at Brother Benjamin's house is yeah. not the thing that we do. Are there right. other things maybe along those kind of lines or 
or something else that we should be aware of, be open-eyed about? Yeah, I mean, I think some of those already exist, and I, I would hope that the church would just follow through on some of those policies, you know, always like the too deep leadership that we always talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, we already re- referenced this as well, but like annotating membership records. Um, and then I think just general, like, the, I think there could be better training for uh, church leaders. Um, you know, we think of about who's called to be bishops and branch presidents. They're all, you know, uh, you know, plumbers and electricians and, you know, they, they don't have any training in how to handle, you know, abuse situations or, you know, uh, marital, you know, relationship issues. And so just better like mental health training and, and training to, um, so they, they can better recognize some of those concerns and then take appropriate action. And, and that would lead to my last um, suggestion, which is to get rid of the um, abuse hotline that mm. the bishops have. Um, I think bishops just need to report directly to law enforcement or child protection services and and not go through a church attorney um, to to manage these cases. When um, we talk about like these cases and, you know, there's been, um, I referenced the sleepover, whatever house there, that was a case that was here in um, the state of Utah recently. Uh, guy in the ward, I think he was in the primary or young men or something like that. And mm-hmm. it was like, we have sleepovers at this unmarried guy's house. All the kids come over. And because he's a member of the church, he's in this power, this position of authority within the mm-hmm. ward. It wasn't like the bishop or anything like that. But people are like, yeah, of course you can go sleep over at this guy's house, which to me, I don't even have young kids. And I go, no, no, no. Like sleepovers at other kids' houses right. are <laughs> a thing that you don't do. Not also at an adult's house. How far do you think... Um, like an a, a, an outright when the church comments on things like this, it always says we are you know we grieve at the opportunity that this had that happened within the world, mm-hmm. right? How how far do you think just something like someone saying we're really sorry that this happened, not legal speak, not any of the other things? How how far do you think that would take the church? I think it would take the church a, a long way and. And even for me personally, it would mean a lot, right? Even with this local case, if the church would have come out and, you know, um, taken some responsibility for what happened, um, you know, apologized for the breakdown in, in their the structure in the system, um, and um, I think that that would have done a lot for me, um, and I think that would take the church a long way in healing some of the harm that's been done. In the most recent article, uh, you're mentioned as being affiliated with a nonprofit. Tell me a little bit about that real quick as we sort of wrap this out. Um, are you referring to Floodlit? Yes. Okay. So floodlit.org, I don't think is a nonprofit yet. I think they're just a, it's a website. Wait, you um, can just buy a domain? I, yeah, you can. <laughs> <laughs> um, so floodlit.org is a new newer website that... Um, highlights Mormon sex abuse cases. It's like a database of all the different cases of Mormon members, church leaders, um, missionaries who have either been accused or convicted of um, sex abuse crimes. And uh, it has it's a whole database. I think right now there's over 560 and growing number of cases. Just every day there's a new case that either is discovered or just a new one in the in the news. Um, so it's a, it, I think it's a valuable resource for members um, to have to either look you know in their area if there's uh, a case that's happened, and also to advocate and provide evidence to local leaders about the this issue, and to advocate for these changes that we were just talking about. 
And, and and ultimately for me and why I beat this drum, probably people that listen to the culture hall are like, yeah, we get it. Is <laughs> we clearly don't get it. Yeah. You know, when you have incidences, there was one a couple months here where the kid, uh, the teenage child went to the bathroom during sacrament meeting and was sexually assaulted you know, in that time or propositioned or something like that. It's like there, we, there's still, it's all the time. It's all the time. Be aware of all the things. And and that's what I appreciate so much about what you said, saying, Hey, you know what? I'm not meddling. This guy was in this position. Here's an email. You should know what this is. This is, it's just information. Mm -hmm. Do with it what you will, but to be uninformed is not what God wants us to do. First of all. And second of all, like it's, it doesn't help you as a, as an, as an individual make an educated choice. So yeah, uh, we feel the same. I hope they're not going to close down my tools. I've got, I got it. You know, I need to know where the people in my ward live and their phone numbers. So I can crank call them. Uh, <laughs> Michael, there are three questions that we ask everyone in the cultural hall uh, that steps in. I sort of know uh, at least the one of them. The first one is, do you have a calling? And if so, what is it? And you don't. The second is if you could pick a calling, you go back to church this next Sunday and they say, you know what? We're sorry for all the things, but you get to pick the calling. That's how sorry we are. What would you pick? What would you go do? Ooh, I would pick either um, primary pianist or ward pianist or organist, um, or the word choir, or the word uh, just music director, like for the sacrament. Correct. And yeah. then the last thing that we ask everyone, uh, we ask you to in- interpret it however you may, but the question that we ask is, what is your favorite part of your faith? The favorite part of my faith? Um, I think that it instills me, instills in me the desire to serve others. And um, I think that's at, at the heart of everything I do every day um, in my job and uh, in everything that I do, even with you know my, my family and friends is is serving others. And I think that's that's the the thing that I enjoy the most. On the front line doing some of the hardest work, I think. I don't I mean, I'm so grateful that there are people like you that can get in there and sit in the ugh with people and be able yeah. to help them through those things. It's it's a tremendous thing that I you know, I don't know that I feel like I could do, but I'm grateful for you for speaking up and for saying something that needs to be said and said again. And then just when we think we haven't said it enough, Oh, a couple more times we could say it again. Yeah. It's uh, Michael Benjamin. Uh, The website is floodlit.org. If people want to check out that database, is that correct? Yep. Floodlit.org. Well, we hope that this episode is nourished and strengthened your body. And if that you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week. And that when the time comes, you will be able to travel home in safety In the meantime, Chris at Alpine Lakes Travel, Rick McGee, Debbie Wanless, and Chocolate Cake Bites Podcast will be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat on the back row.